Welcome to another edition of Children of Song, the podcast that explores what it must have been like to grow up surrounded by music. For those of you who are taking this journey with us for the first time, we're speaking with musicians whose parents made a name for themselves in the music business. We'll see how they caught the music bug themselves and ultimately what inspired them to continue the family legacy and pursue their own musical journeys. I'm Robert K. Orman. And I'm joined by my producer, Brad Newman. Hey, Brad. Hey, Robert. Welcome back to Nashville. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be fun this afternoon. That's for sure. I think you're going to love this episode. Brad keeps me on the straight and narrow while we're doing our interview. And, of course, making us sound great, Jamie Pfeffer is our engineer. We're calling this season the Nashville Sessions. And today we find ourselves at Station West Studios. It's in the Berry Hill neighborhood of Nashville. And we have the daughter of a singer, songwriter, actor, and producer, Toby Keith. You know him for his hits, Should Have Been a Cowboy, Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue, Red Solo Cup, How Do You Like Me Now, Beer for My Horses, As Good As I Once Was, I Love This Bar, which inspired a whole new venture for him. Crystal, his daughter, released her first album a couple years back. It's called Whiskey and Lace. And she's made her mark with songs like Daddy Dance With Me and Get Your Redneck On. And she might have some of her father's personality, but you'll see today Crystal is making it on her own way. And thank you for being with us, Crystal. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Toby has one of those oversized personalities. (laughs) (laughs) You could say that. (laughs) that. What's it like growing up with somebody who takes up a room. <laughs> um, well, you know, honestly, he's he's a lot more normal than people would expect him to be. You he's exactly what you what you get of him in interviews and things like that, but um when he's home, he tries to kind of um find find a ground and it, when he comes home, I mean, really He's had to deal with three women his entire life and or our, our entire lives that he comes home and we kind of rule the roost and and he just has to, you know, he used to have to do uh, carpool runs and, you know, McDonald's. He finally got to the point where um, in uh, like a McDonald's line, he would just roll down the back window and whoever was sitting there would have to do the order because he, he would pull through and go, I need five cheeseburgers. Whereas all of us were like, oh, she's no mustard and she's lettuce and she's <laughs> so... He would get so tired of, like, trying to get everybody's orders because he wasn't the one doing them all the time that he'd end up making whoever was in the back order it and he'd just throw up his hands, which he has to do a lot when you, when, you know, when, he, when you have three women that you have to deal with at home. Now, when you were a little girl, that was when his career was really taking off. Yeah. And that's the time in your life when you're an artist that you have to be gone a lot. Yeah. And what was how did he manage that? Did he try to be a hands-on dad even though that was going on? He absolutely was. Um I think it it speaks volumes that um the way that I kind of remember childhood is I don't really remember him being gone. I remember things like at 4 a.m. they would wrap us. I mean it was before seatbelts had to be worn, but they would wrap us in our comforters and take my dad would carry us asleep out of bed and put us in the back seat of the car and me and my sister would lay together in the back seat. Um, it was long before my brother came along and they would wake us up at the airport to kiss him goodbye and, and say our goodbyes there because he would be gone six to eight weeks at a time. Right. And then, um, and then, you know, we'd talk to him every night and then when he was home, he was so present 
that I really I don't remember the spans of him being gone. I remember telling people he was gone and I remember people asking me how long he's been gone and me being able to answer that, but I honestly just don't remember having that many that many moments of just like I really wish he was here. I miss him. Things like that because he was so present when he was home. We did tickle time and we read the Bible <laughs> and we read books and you know, we were I was his sidekick, you know, I I went everywhere with him when he was home. Um there's so many pictures of even when he was here working like fanfare and stuff that the fans were talking to him and I'm literally like hugging his leg like mm. I have no idea why you people are talking to my dad but he's mine and I want him back we were playing right before you walked up so um you know he was he was such a good dad and and so present that you know I really I didn't miss um the the times he was gone I, I didn't really understand that you know he was gone and that I mm-hmm. should have that void because I just didn't Toby's the kind of guy that if he doesn't like where you've got it, he'll tell you where to put it. <laughs> Do you think that you have a little bit of the, of his? Did you pick up some of his personality? Uh, yeah. He says that uh, my sister's a lot like my mom. I'm like an exact copy of him, and then my brother is a combination of the two of us. So <laughs> I guess, I mean, if, if, if that comes with the territory, I'll take it. <laughs> when did you first know you wanted to sing? I don't remember ever not wanting to sing. Really? I mean, I think I was three um, as far back as I remember saying, like, I'll be a singer. I threw a fit to get on stage with him. And and um, so I, I've always wanted to be a musician. And so you began, to, you began to write songs quite young, too, did you not? Yeah, I was nine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first, like, I called it a song poem. And um, I think that's the first time that uh, my dad says he really recognized the creative writing potential in me that somebody, you know, years ago had seen in him. And that was when he really was like, okay, you know, instead of focusing, like, you don't need to be focused on music. Just be a kid. Live your life. You know, I don't play an instrument. And part of that is because... You know, growing up, he was just like, "Don't you can do music later." You know, you'll you'll find an engineer. You'll ha- you know you'll have a band. Just be a kid. He was. I think he was so terrified that his career would affect us um, that he really didn't. Um, he didn't necessarily discourage, but he didn't encourage us to like learn instruments and things like that. Which give me a little taste of what you would have sung to him at age nine. <laughs> Oh, Lord. I mean, it was probably like Puppy Dogs and Rainbows, but it was I, – I don't even remember what it was, but it was it was my like – it was what I gave him for his birthday or Father's Day or whatever. And so it was some sort of poem about – probably about, you know, being a dad and, and being awesome and stuff like that. So, you know, what nine-year-olds think that their their parents are Well, awesome. how about an earlier one then or one that, that you sang at so, more at 17? Okay, you... so the 15 was my first song that I like completed all the way through. I had a whole – um, notebook of like partially written songs, verses and choruses, but I had never finished a song, and I wrote one at fifteen called um, "Just Between uh, Just Between You and Me," and I actually ended up cutting that at a at um, uh, Laurie White's uh, studio when I was seventeen or eighteen, and mm-hmm. and put it on a demo, and that one was. Um, he drove up beside me and he shot that perfect smile. In my direction, he got real close as we wasted all our time. Oh, the affection, he whispered softly in my ear. Baby, let's get out of here. Oh, 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 perfect timing. Oh, 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 just what I need. Oh, 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 
Thank you, baby, for everything between you and me. And so for, for That's 15. That's not bad for 15. No, for 15, my first song, you can tell I was in love. <laughs> and Laurie White's a good person to be collaborating with when you're a kid. Yeah, she I mean, was she's, great. Laurie is a, for those of you who don't know, is a wonderful singer-songwriter here in Nashville who's worked quite a bit with Toby yeah. over the years in the studio and sometimes in a production capacity yeah. and sometimes as a co-writer. And That's right. So she's a good lady. She is. So, um. Did you get to go on the road? I mean, when meet people and be backstage and do all that kind of show busy stuff? To an extent, um, my dad was really focused, and and honestly, I mean, my mom deserves probably most of the credit, and my dad would um, agree with that. That they really wanted us to have a, a normal, grounded life. So if it interfered with sports or school, we weren't allowed to go. But in the summertime or the weekends, if we wanted to go, or he was doing a um, like he'd do like the San Antonio um, fair, he'd do Six Flags or something fun that we could go and enjoy as kids, then he would let us go and his band members would take us out and ride the rides while he was doing all his media and then um, we'd hang out at the show and fall asleep on the bus and um, do the whole weekend. So, I mean, we, we were out on the road a lot with him, but um, but again, you know, only if it didn't interfere. That was my mom's rule. Is I think so, my dad would have let us come out whenever. He's always kind of School came role. first. Definitely. Yeah. Well, actually, it turned out to be school came first with him, too. It, it was. But I think uh, I think as far as, like, sports and stuff, he would have been a little more lax about that than her. She was very, like, you're not missing anything just to go on the road. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Toby, um, the first time he came to Nashville, they kind of turned him away. They yep. basically spanked him and sent him home. Mm-hmm. They said, your songs are no good. Get out of here. And ever since then, he's had kind of a – approach avoidance thing about Nashville and yeah. um, the Nashville music business. And <clears throat> so when you decided to try to start doing that, did he – did you get that put on you or did you well, get to make up your own mind about what this town was going to be like? Um, I didn't really get it put – I mean I knew a lot of it. Um, a lot of it was just kind of above my head for, for when I was a teenager mm-hmm. um, that he never really really told us a lot about it. We just kind of picked it up from conversations. And um, when we came to town, I mean, one of the first questions that was asked to me was, you know, what is your relationship going to be with these people that we, you know, it's very well known that your dad doesn't have a great relationship with or um, or whatever. So I think, you know, right off the bat, I was like, you know, as a daughter, I'm not a fan of some of that. As a daughter, um, you know, I, I have hard feelings about him not getting the accolades that he should have and and being told that, um, you know, he's not good enough. But he definitely um, earned his stripes and got to, for a, a lack of a better phrase, give him the middle finger. So, mm-hmm. And he hasn't won the awards. No. no and not, he, he honestly, I don't think he cares to. He really he, – Because it's too much does, politics and he won't play it. He, he is not interested in being part of the politics. And the awards that he has won are the ones that he cares about, the fan-voted things, the um, – songwriter being inducted into the songwriter hall of fame things like that are are things that like he had a goal um of attaining and and the the other awards that are are um industry voted and things like that i don't think he really i don't really think he cares to have to have those because to him he understands that there's so much politics involved Part of it, I think, too, is, you know, I've always said this, if you want to hunt tigers, you got to go to the jungle. And he sure. just refused to move here. Sure. And that's, you know, that's the name of the game around here, I think. Yeah. Besides Toby, are there other people that were deeply influential to you in the music world? There were a lot. Um, 
I'll say uh, outside of the music world, my grandmother, um, but only because she introduced me to a lot of the old um, music that influenced me, Patsy Cline, Skeeter Davis, things like that. And um, and those are, you know, songs that, that I've sang, you know, as far back as I can remember um, off A-tracks and records, you know, vinyls and things like that. So Don't they um, know uh, it's the end of the world. Of the world. You don't love me anymore. Such a good, I such love a that good song. song. Um, Skeeter Davis was best. Yeah, she was. She was phenomenal. Um, my uh, Patsy Cline is my like ultimate though. Like right. if if I if I could uh, could have met and had dinner with any female artist ever, it would be probably Patsy Cline. I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. I'd like to hear a little of that. Can you yeah, sing us a, a little, little Patsy? Come on. Crazy, I'm crazy for feeling so lonely. I'm crazy, crazy for feeling so blue. I knew you'd love me as long as you wanted. And then someday you'd leave me for somebody new. Oh, I love me some Patsy. Me too. I'm Robert K. Orman, and you're listening to Children of Song with our guest today, Crystal Keith, who has a legendary dad and is starting to make herself her own little legend. Trying to. (laughs) (laughs) Which of your dad's songs did you particularly like uh, of 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 the many, many, many hits? Oh, um, I was always a fan of the ones that meant the most to him, like uh, more recently, like Clancy's Tavern, um, Angry American, you know, things like that, that um, every time I hear Angry American live, they put pictures of my grandpa in the back. And, and um, I always, I mean, I'm always like a blubbering mess, no matter how many times I hear it. Um, and I, you know, I think that, I think a lot of that is is the fact that like, I understand where he's coming from in a songwriter perspective from a songwriter's perspective and um and the things that mean the most to him in writing those just by association me being in the family also mean that much to me and so those are the songs that that I love the most but um I mean as a kid I loved things like uh, there was a song that's really obscure and you may not have ever even heard it but um it's called hello hello honey I was just about to hello Baby, I was getting ready. Hello, I know I should have called sooner. Oh, so you may not have heard that, but um, I was probably, I don't know, 11, 11 or 12 when that came out. And it was like the rockin' cool song on the album, and I wore it out. <laughs> so there was that, and then his Christmas album has a song called Hot Rod Slay that I um, was obsessed with um, growing up. And I would, um, I, I we always loved all this music. I didn't even know he was like, famous for a long time. I had no idea. I'd go to school. My my second grade teacher I'm still um, friends with, and uh, she was like, you used to come, and she said, I remember you singing Should Have Been a Cowboy a year before it came out on the radio, and saying, you know, oh, it's one of my dad's songs, and, and all the kids in class were like, you know, whatever, you know, your dad's not famous. And I didn't even know that he was famous. It was just like people saying, oh, Toby Keith, and they had started hearing his name, and that's kind of when I started feeling like people were treating me different, asking me, like, I'm like, why do you care so much 
about my dad. I don't ask you about your dad. So you didn't Can listen to country radio? Barbies? You didn't listen I, to country I did, but I, I mean, not with the under. I mean, I was six or seven when he got his record deal. Mm-hmm. So I didn't understand that the voice that I had been hearing on my radio forever wasn't a tape. You know, I didn't understand that that wasn't just what was playing. I didn't understand that there was this, like, station that played him and he was making money doing it. I'd gone to the shows and, and seen him live and played his music so long that it it wasn't any different for me than playing it on a tape. So I didn't understand other people got that, too. Could we could we hear you sing a little bit of Should Have Been a Cowboy? Because it'd be fun to go oh, a little Lord. bit from you to, to him. You're going to put me on the spot on lyrics. It's like the most famous <coughs> famous song ever. It's been a long time since I've heard it. Uh, I, I can't tell you no. how it starts. I knew the chorus. <laughs> You're going to put me totally <laughs> on the spot right now. Should have been a cowboy. Should have learned to rope and ride. Wear my six shooters. Riding my pony on the cattle drive. Stealing a young girl's heart. Just like Gene and Roy. Singing the Songs. Oh, I been a did you have a sense of his process as a writer? Did like did you see him writing songs? Yeah, uh-huh. a lot. Um, he had, I mean, friends constantly. I mean, a lot of them were his bandmates early on. He he right. didn't have the network of writers that he has today in Nashville. Um, and so it was, you know, Chuck Golf was one of his early mm-hmm. band members that um, that he wrote, you know, a few songs with and. Uh, so I saw a lot of that. Um, he wrote a lot by himself, though, too. So he was constantly, I, I don't know if I knew that he was writing songs until I was a little older, but um, but he always had, you know, songs in his head and would sing little parts of them here and there. Um, and every song, I mean, he talks about how um, almost every song on his original tape that he brought to Nashville ended up. I think he had like three number ones and a couple top mm-hmm. fives or something. The ones they told him were no good. The one, yeah, that you're not good looking <laughs> enough and you can't write a song. And he's been like, I don't know, it's weird to say this, but sexiest man in country music, I don't know, once or twice. And and he's also, you know, a very prolific songwriter now. So somebody didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> now, he, he had a sense that this was not the best best of professions for someone with a fragile ego, obviously, Sure. and insisted, even though you didn't want to, insisted that you go to college. Um, yes. Now, now, now I, you, could, could, at that point, you had said, this is what I want to do, and he said, no, you're not. <clears throat> is that yes. the way it went? Well, I wouldn't say that it was because I have a fragile ego, because I, um, I don't get my feelings hurt very easily. That's I think good. it was a lot more, <laughs> I think it had more to do with um, he didn't want the industry to beat me up on being like young, young and inexperienced. His, his example was Leanne uh, Rhymes. When she came out, she was so young and had this big, huge voice that was amazing, and people were blown away by it. And then as she grew up, people kind of still saw her as a kid and didn't give her a chance to grow up and and become an adult and treat her like an adult. They were always kind of criti- critical of her. Taylor Swift, you saw the same thing with her. Every boyfriend, she, you know, she had to go through all these teenage things in public. In public. Mm-hmm. And he was just like, I don't want that for you. I want you to get life experience, kind of get your feet under you and get grounded on who you are so that you don't get into the industry. It wasn't as much my ego as it was just, um, you know, kind of eating me alive and making me jaded and, and um, negative toward 
um, what I was doing. So, But he also wanted you to get a college <clears throat> education yes. and experience that life, yeah. which he thought might have a benefit for you later on as an yes. artist, right? Yes. Um, he, he was really adamant about the education. He and my mom, neither one, um, had the opportunity to go to college. <clears throat> so he always said that, you know, I, I earned all of this money and, and you know, my kids are going to, they you have every opportunity to go to college. You're not throwing that away. If what you want to do doesn't work out, you need a fallback, which at the time I was like, I don't need a fallback. I, I know what I'm doing and I'm not, if I have my, my big thing I always told my mom was if I have a, if I have a fallback, then I might fall back. If I don't have a fallback, then that's not an option. And so I was a very um, eager and determined, like, 18-year-old, and, and as, as they all are. And um, my dad just knew better and, and thought that, you know, if I get that life experience under my belt and get um, a degree and, and understand business or, you know, whatever it is that I, um, I study, then, then I can walk into it a little more mature than, than I started out. And by the same token, once you did make it clear that you were not abandoning this quest that he was there for you sure he was there to, he produced your first album right he did he and mark Wright, and um and it was a really cool um turn in our relationship where we went from just father and daughter where i was kind of always just the tag along to kind of working together i mean he was writing songs for the project i was letting him hear songs i was writing um we were picking songs together from other writers and then you know in the studio um, he'll say he was probably harder on me than he had been any other artist he had produced just because I was his daughter and he knew, he knows how I sing and, and knew what he could get out of me. Um, but it was, it was really, um, cool in that I didn't know if he had a vision that he was going to try to push or if he would kind of set back and let me do my thing. And he really did set back and let me kind of take direction on, um, or take, you know, take the lead on what direction that the album went. I mean, I, I had a hand in it. I, I sat back and gave him, um, the lead where I was not really comfortable or sure what direction to go. But when I did speak up, he listened and, and it was more like artist to artist, Mm -hmm. um, relationship, which I felt like was really cool. That album, Whiskey and Lace, has a very poignant, uh, song that directly addresses your relationship called Daddy Dance With Me. Tell me about that song. Um, I wrote it as a surprise in, uh, I got married in 2010 and I wanted something for my wedding that really gave him a moment in the wedding. You know, the wedding was all about me and my husband and, you know, my mom got to be part of the whole process, but he didn't really, he kind of got left out on planning of the wedding other than traveling with us to Cabo to to go do all the trips. He would go golf and we'd go wedding plan. Um, <laughs> so I really wanted something that that would bring him into it and give him kind of a special moment. And we have such a cool relationship in that we have so many interests and we're so alike that, um, you know, I kind of, I, I had to find a song that really described our relationship. And I couldn't find anything that fit exactly, you know, what I was feeling and what I wanted to say. And I was like, why am I looking for other people's songs? I'm a songwriter. I'm just going to write it. And then I worked on it for about six months and really hit kind of a writer's block. Sometimes when um, you're writing something that's super deeply personal, you kind of can't find the words. Like you can find the words to describe every. If you told me a story and I had to write a song about it, I can describe your pain and your 
um, happiness and your whatever you're going on. But when it's like deeply personal to you, sometimes it's hard to, to put it into words. So I got about halfway through the song and I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to bring in Micah. Uh, Roberts, who is his background vocalist, mm-hmm. knows him very well, knows me very well, and therefore knows the relationship between us. And she and was an she, artist herself at one she time. She was an artist, mm-hmm. yeah, um, on our label, and Dad produced her, mm-hmm. I think. Um, but she brought in another. She was like, I've got a friend I'm going to bring into this too. So me and Micah and Sonia Rutledge um, got together and, and got it finished. I really didn't finish it until about three weeks before the wedding. <laughs> I was like, I, you know, we're we're going to like, we're going to end up with butterfly kisses if I don't get this knocked out. And um, nothing against butterfly kisses. Let me make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we knocked it out. And then I secretly came to Nashville and recorded it. Didn't tell him. I told him I was coming to record a song for my first dance with my husband, which I also did. And I told my husband I was coming to record this secret song for my dad. So neither one of them knew what was going on. Um, but I got here and I recorded an Elton John song for my husband. And I recorded Daddy Dance with me for my dad, surprised him at the wedding. He knew nothing about it. And he literally talked through the entire thing. He couldn't he he said, What is what what is this? And I was like, Oh, it's a song I wrote. And before I could even say another word or he had to hear a word, he just started talking. Like, well, what? I can't hear it. Uh, you're going to have to tell me. So I would tell him the words, and then he would talk, and he immediately turned into label head. He was like, well, this has got to go on your album, right? When did you do this? Who, what studio? Who was the engineer? Who put this together? And he was basically like, this can never happen again. Nobody on my team can do this behind my back ever again because he's in front of you know our huge group of people down in Cabo trying ev- with everything in him not to cry. And uh, he said he almost shed a tear, but he's a professional. And then later I was like, you you got in fetal position when you got back to the room. Don't lie. So uh, he, he still to this day, if you can get him to admit it, let me know. But he, he still says he, he almost dropped one tear. <laughs> can you play a little bit of that or can you sing a little bit for yeah, us? Yeah, it's um, – it's, uh, Daddy dance with me. Uh, I want you to see the woman I've become. Daddy, don't let go. I want you to know I'll always need your love. Today I became his wife, but I'll be your baby girl for life (laughs) it's nice thank you and we we did a video we released it um uh in 2013 and did a music video and actually the the music video immediately hit like a million views i think we're at six or seven now but um, we used a friend of mine's actual wedding footage i was like hey i know if anybody i know has great wedding footage from their wedding, it's you. And she was like, yeah, you can use it. So um, so that's actually like a real a real friend of ours and her, her actual wedding. Having a – being a child of song, is a, it can be a blessing and a curse in some ways. I mean, do people – is it hard to live up to somebody who is that prominent in the business? Is it hard to be in the shadow? Uh, I don't think it's as hard – to be in well I mean it I've never really found a lot of negatives to it I mean there people have expectations of you 
Um, I get a lot of like when I come in to write, people are like, oh, I thought you were 17. And they are kind of just like, oh, I'm going to take this because they said it's Toby's daughter. You know, it, I've heard it's Toby's daughter or whatever. And they don't really expect that I'm an actual songwriter and that they're like, hey, this was way, way better than I thought it would be. Um, people have these expectations. That I totally get that in a way because in, yeah. in many ways you are frozen in my mind in Mockingbird. Sure. Which how old were you then? I was 18. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm 31. Yeah. Yeah. So but in my mind, that's still crystal. Keith, and isn't you know? it weird? I, I've noticed a lot of that. People that have been following my dad since they're 20 or since he was 20 or 24, however old he was when he started, they kind of still see him. They're like, what? He has grown children. What? He's married. And um, and I, I think that that's kind of how it is. And I think that's a lot of why when I mentioned, you know, my dad has used, you know, Taylor Swift and Leon Rhymes as kind of examples. You, people do. Whoever their celebrity, you know, person is, whoever they see that's disconnected from them in real life and they just see on TV or a stage or whatever, I think that in their mind that that's just kind of where they stay. It's a, it's mm-hmm. a bizarre it's a bizarre side of psychology that I'd love to know more about, but um but people just do they kind of just assume I'm, you know, a kid or or that he doesn't have children at all and and um as far as as being, you know, a curse, I it's opened so many doors just from the relationships my dad's built and I've had so many amazing experiences that those far outweigh any negatives that I've ever really had to deal with. It's, you know, just little things like you know, always having to question why somebody's in your life. And those are things that you learn really early on to detect. I mean, it's within a month or two of somebody hanging out with you, you you can tell pretty quick what, why they're there. Um, so that that's probably the biggest thing we have to deal with. But I've also not grown up in Nashville. I've grown up in Oklahoma where nobody really cares. <laughs> he's famous. He's going to well, have to they, change their tire, too. <laughs> there, are many, there are many, many lessons to be learned when you enter this business. And probably one of the most important ones is to learn to entertain. Yeah. And going out to open shows with him that has to be – was that the biggest part of the education for you? Oh, uh, bar none. Yeah. I mean, if you have not – I'll say this as a proud daughter. If you haven't seen him live, you should. But if if you have seen him live, you know it's a complete rock show. He is one of the best entertainers. I mean, I, I go to other shows, and I can, I can almost not go through a show where somebody isn't a performer. I can I can I can go sit at a little bar and hear somebody sit at a mic and sing, but if I'm paying for a ticket and I'm going to an amphitheater, I want something spectacular. I want to be entertained, and um, that's what he's phenomenal at. So what growing lesson? up side stage on that was definitely what's the what's the lessons that you took away from that for your own performance? Um, well, I mean, like he he's always said when I perform, like the first time I went out to perform, he just kind of you know, slapped me on the butt and said, give them hell, um, which in his way was just like, don't don't leave anything, you know, just put it all out there. Don't don't hold back. If they think it's stupid, that's fine. But you're going to be entertaining and stupid. Like it's not it's not some it's not a time to be shy and reserved. You kind of have to come out of your shell, which is not hard for a personality like mine. If I was shy, I can imagine that being 
troublesome for And, and for just someone. to be clear to the audience, I mean, you were warming up for him in front of thousands, thousands <clears throat> of people. Tens of thousands. I mean, and yeah. we're, we're talking, I mean, you're, you're a young artist. You're trying to get your feet wet really in the business. Sure. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a jump into the big pool. He's an arena act. Yeah. yeah. So I'll say I started at 14 on stage with him. The first time I was on stage, um, I just kind of was on the bus. <clears throat> and I had a boyfriend out in the audience, and I was like, wouldn't it be cool for me to be on stage? My boyfriend's out there. And I was like, hey, can I get on stage with you tonight? And he was like, whatever. <laughs> and so the song that he let me come out to, and I honestly don't even know if my mic was turned on. It probably wasn't, and I pray it wasn't because I didn't know how to sing harmonies, and that's what he stuck me with. Um, but it was, um, I think it was a little less talk, which my mom scolded him later and was like, that is not appropriate for a 14-year-old to be singing. Many of his songs aren't, actually. <laughs> I know. He's like, what do you want me to choose from? I mean, Red Solo these, Cup. This is my, these are my options. <laughs> um, so I start 14, and then from that point on, I mean, that was like, I was not even standing up front with him. I was just standing back in the back next to Uncle Chucky, who's Chuck Golf and his band. Um, but... From that point on, every time I was at a show, I started doing the anthem at 16, I think. And I would go out in front of 25,000 people and sing the anthem because it's one of my favorite songs to sing. And I would um, get done and, you know, just watch the show, go out and sit in the audience and watch the show like everybody else. And to me, um, you know, I, I thought it was just really cool that he was letting me have a minute in front of his fans that all kind of have grown up now. They've watched me do that for 15 years and and are now my fans. So I started really young getting those little snippets of of trying to get out there and and perform and I've screwed up and I just kind of laugh and say sorry and keep going. And um but I mean I I really learned a lot of lessons just with that one song I got to sing. That first album was very uh, diverse. Mm -hmm. uh, give the people a little flavor of your bluesy side with Down in Muddy Water. Oh yeah, um that's kind of blues is like my wheelhouse when when I really start singing. So um, I did this one on Craig Ferguson. Um, oh, you left me here and went out on the town. Uh, I don't know when I've been so down. The sky is dark. The moon's blue. I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like falling down into muddy water. So this next album, will you continue in this vein of doing a little? I mean, this, that first album had tinges of had rock, everything. tinges of blues, yeah. tinges of sweetness, and that was my goal. It and was sweet and tart. It, yeah. it totally. And I, the reason I did that is because a lot of first artists, and and this is where the benefits of growing up watching this industry kind of happen around you, um, is I've watched a lot of artists come out, and everyone asks them, "What the, what's your sound?" What what is your sound? Mm -hmm. And I'm like that. I've always thought that's the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life. Why does somebody have to have a sound? Your voice is your sound, but you can do a thousand things with a voice. Mm -hmm. So my my goal was really like I don't I don't want to get boxed in when I try to do something later down the road, a bluesy thing or whatever. I want people to know I've got it in me and not to be surprised that it's coming out of me. Because a lot of times if you give your sound and you box yourself in, then later on your fans are like, eek, ah, she shouldn't be doing that because they're just not used to it. They're not, people don't like change. Um, so I kind of stuck it out there and said, you know, I can do blues and I'm going to do some old school and I'm going to do some pop stuff and I'm going to do a little Southern rock here and there and just, if you like it, you like it. If you don't, 
just don't buy that album. Buy the next <laughs> one that has a little more of what you like on it. Um, so I, I, I like the idea of, of um, not having an album that really has something that sounds a lot like. I like, I like having some different stuff. I've got um, some stuff on this project that I'm recording here that is a little more retro, and then I've got some stuff that um, is like real, you know, pop power ballad. So um, you just, you just kind of never know what you're going to get with me. Write us out with a little taste of what's to come. Oh, you're going to get me in trouble. <laughs> uh, let's see. Hmm. What to give, what to give. I'll say, I'll sing a couple lines of one. One of the songs that I have is kind of a little retro, and it's, uh, I'll be the cherry in your Coca-Cola, the kind of classic you don't want to let go of. Put some sugar on you, make you say, show enough. I'll be your vintage, I'll be your vintage. I'll stop there. <laughs> it gets, it gets, Thank you, Crystal. This was a lot of fun. Thank you very I'm much. Thanks to the for next having record. me. I'm yeah. really looking forward we'll to it. We'll send it your way. Yes, thank you. Before we let you go, we want to welcome you to the B-Side. Here's a chance for us to have some fun and tell one more story. As we were packing up, Crystal opened up about going on tour with her dad when some of the ultra-famous would stop by. Whether they were there to congratulate Toby, play a song, or simply say hello, these were the moments that helped shape her as an artist. My favorite stories of being on the road are just um, when the legends were around, like when he recorded with um, Willie and did uh, Beer for My Horses. I was in the studio when they did that. And, um, what being, a great memory. Oh, my gosh. And it, it's one of those things that you'll never forget. Being on the road um, and Merle, ha or, um, Merle Haggard coming on and, and just sitting and telling stories. I've been at to Merle shows and just simply because I had my grandmothers with me, um, his his uh, tour manager came back and got us and just to say a quick hey and then we sit there on his bus for an hour and he tells stories and him and my grandma tell back and forth stories about you know different old music and old ballrooms they both have been to and I mean those are like just being a fly everyone says they'd love to be a fly on the wall in different conversations and that was what I was growing up I mean kind of just got to sit back and watch just kind of magic happen. Being at our manager's house when Glenn Campbell and my dad are jamming and, and um, playing um, guitar and singing together. And, you know, it, it's it's stuff like that that um, make every little tiny negative that you could find in this industry so worth it just to be a musician and, and be able to wholeheartedly appreciate those kind of magical moments. If you want to hear more of Crystal Keith, check out her new EP, Boulder, which can be found on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get your music. Next time, we'll visit with the legendary Margie Singleton. The classic country singer looks back at her remarkable career and why she's still riding and packing them in at 82. Children of Song, the podcast everyone's talking about. Till next time, I'm Brad Newman. Thanks for listening. This is Jimmy Fallon, inviting you to join me for Fox Across America, where we'll discuss every single one of the Democrats' dumb ideas. Just kidding. It's only a three-hour show. Listen live at noon Eastern or get the podcast at foxacrossamerica.com. Listen to Fox News Podcast shows ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or follow wherever you get your podcasts.